we had a very positive Sunday school lesson, and I'm going to admit to you up front that this is not a very positive um, sermon in some regards. The, um, the title of my sermon this morning is The Intoxication of Power. The Intoxication of Power. There's a saying that absolute power corrupts absolutely. Now, of all modern men that we can look to as an example of this, Hitler seems to be the most extreme example, um, at least in my mind. Hitler was on the cover of the Time magazine on January 2nd, 1939, as the man of the year. During the Depression, he was running food lines and soup kitchens. He was creating jobs. He was giving Germany hope. The Volkswagen was in some regard his brainchild because he wanted and promoted a car that could be afforded by the common working man. So what went wrong with Hitler? Well, I'm not planning to answer that question this morning. I would like and, and uh, I accept to say this. I believe he became intoxicated with himself. Instead, I would like to look this morning at the biblical example of Saul. So if you would, turn in your Bibles to 1 Samuel chapter 10. 1 Samuel chapter 10. I would just like to read a few verses about Saul, about how he was, uh, how was, he was anointed king and came to power, and uh, see what kind of man he was. 1 Samuel chapter 10, verse 20. And when Samuel uh, caused all the tribes of Israel to come near, the tribe of Benjamin was taken. And when he caused the tribe of Benjamin to come near by their families, the family of Matri was taken. And Saul, the son of Kish, was taken. And when they sought him, he could not be found. Therefore they inquired of the Lord further, if the man should yet come thither. And the Lord answered, Behold, he has hid himself among the stuff. And they ran and fetched him thence. And when he stood among the people, he was higher than any of the people from his shoulders and upward. And Samuel said to all the people, See ye him whom the Lord has chosen. There is none like him among all the people. And all the people shouted and said, God save the king. Then Samuel told the people the manner of the kingdom and wrote it in a book and laid it up before the Lord. And Samuel sent all the people away, every man to his house. And Saul went home to Gibeah. And there went with him a band of men <coughs> whose hearts God had touched. And the children of Belial said, How shall this man save us? And they despised him and brought him no presents. But he, that is Saul, held his peace. Here we have a man chosen of God. We have a man that's physically and mentally capable uh, we have a man who, if you read prior chapters, that the Spirit of God had come upon and he began to prophesy. And they said, is the son of Kish also a part of the prophets? We have a man who was humble. When men despised him and did not bring him any presence, didn't show him any honor, he was quiet. He said nothing. Something happened to Saul along the way, and I'd like to look a little bit at what that was. What did the process of his fall look like? How did he become intoxicated? Why? 
What are some lessons we can learn <clears throat> today and why should we need to know those lessons? And I would like to talk about that first for a moment because some of you are or will be in leadership. Or should I say some of us? We need to know what good leadership and bad looks like. Sometime in your life you will find yourself in a situation that you feel something is wrong and you need to know what it is. I think that's one reason we need to look at some of these things. Even though I have to say it's not the most comfortable thing to look at. But of all places to analyze the most intently, it is the um, actions that spring from our own hearts. Because there's none of us that are, um, there's none of us that do not have the potential to fall away from the ideal truth that God has placed within us. We are all susceptible to that. We're all men. Leadership and authority is everywhere, from home to school, to church to governments. It's designed by God for the benefit of mankind. But the same thing that makes it valuable also gives it a potential for evil. Remember what James says about the tongue? How many of you would like to be without yours? None of us. Communication, one of the most beautiful gifts that God has given mankind. The, um, what do you think uh, Zachariah felt like for those months that he couldn't talk? I think he felt pretty lost, don't you? And God gave us the gift of communication. God also gave us the gift of leadership and authority. I believe that. And I, got, I think God did it for our good, for the good of mankind. So what was the source of, Paul's, of, of Saul's intoxication? I think, number one, he was proud. And uh, let's turn to chapter 13, 1 Samuel 13, and I'd like to read the first four verses. Saul reigned one year, and when he had reigned two years over Israel, Saul chose him 3,000 men of Israel, whereof 2,000 were with Saul and Michmash and Mount Bethel, and 1,000 were with Jonathan and Gibeah of Benjamin. And the rest of the people he sent every man to his tent. And Jonathan smote the garrison of the Philistines that was in Geba, and the Philistines heard of it. And Saul blew the trumpet throughout all the land, saying, Let the Hebrews hear. And all Israel heard say that Saul had smitten the garrison of the Philistines, and that Israel also was had an abomination with the Philistines, and the people were called together after Saul to Gilgal. So right off... Saul's not in power very long, and, um, and his son Jonathan uh, has a victory, and all Israel hears Saul had a victory. If you'll look at what God says to, uh, to Saul, 
chapter 15, verse 17. He says, uh, Samuel said, he's giving Saul God's message. He says, when you were little in your own sight, were you not made the head of the tribes of Israel? And the Lord anointed thee king over Israel? When you were little in your sight, what is God saying? It's no longer true. And I wondered, was Saul only humble because he was comparing himself with other men? Wasn't it Saul that said, uh, who, who am I and who is my father's house? Who is he comparing to? Was he comparing to God or was he comparing to others? See, sometimes we're humble when we think of ourselves in relation to our brother. And we realize, well, I'm just really not much compared to him. But you see, along the way, Saul became the top dog, as it were, of, of the whole country. And all of a sudden, he's a big guy now. He forgot to compare himself with Almighty God. So Saul was proud. He also believed he was wiser than God. Chapter 13, verse 8. And um, so, so um, we're, we're, we're getting ready to have a war here, and um, the, the Philistines are coming. They're, they're gathering together. They're, they're, um, they're all together, and they're, they're, there's a big pile of them. And uh, the people are getting f afraid, and they're, and they're going to hide because nothing's happening. And Samuel's supposed to come, and, and Samuel's not showing up. And, and um, verse 8, And he tarried seven days according to the time that Samuel had appointed. But Samuel came not to Gilgal, and the people were scattered. And Saul said, Bring hither a burnt offering to me, and peace offerings. And he burnt, offered the burnt offering. And it came to pass, as soon as he made an end of offering the burnt offerings, behold, Samuel came. And Saul went out to meet him that he might salute him. And Samuel said, what hast thou done? And Saul said, because I saw the people were scattered from me and thou camest not within the days appointed and that the Philistines gathered themselves together and mikmashed. Therefore said I, the Philistines will come down upon me to Gilgal and I, and I have not made supplication unto the Lord. I forced myself therefore poor me, and offered a burnt offering. And Samuel said to Saul, Thou hast done foolishly. Thou hast not kept the commandment of the Lord thy God, which he commanded thee. For now would the Lord have established thy kingdom upon Israel forever. But now thy kingdom shall not continue. The Lord has sought him a man after his own heart. And the Lord has commanded him to be captain over his people, because thou hast not kept that which the Lord commanded thee. Saul thought he was wiser than God. He had God's commandment. He knew what God said. And yet he decided that the situation was different this time. Therefore, I will do it my way because I just had to do it. He received the rebuke of the prophet. And he was informed that his kingdom would end because of his disobedience. 
Now the unique thing about Saul here is he admitted in part that he was wrong. But he never really repented. I don't see, think we see a repentant spirit here among Saul. He, um, how different that is from David. You see, Saul was sorry he got caught. And David was sorry he sinned. And therein lies a huge difference. Something we can apply to our own lives no matter where we are. From little people up to old men. Um, or old ladies. The question comes, when we do wrong, and we all do from time to time, are we sorry we got caught? Or are we sorry that we did what was wrong? What a difference. Well, I think that was some of the basis, some of the, the reason that, that, Paul, that Saul um, fell away from, from God, from truth, from his calling. He was proud. He believed he was wiser than God. And lastly, he never repented. Well, I'd like to look at some of the signs of this intoxication. Um, chapter 14. And uh, we'll go down to about verse 24, I think. Yes, verse 24. So now... Um, there were war again. Jonathan and his armor bearer had, um, had, had come up and, and God did a mighty delivery on a small section of ground. And um, when, uh, when God worked that mighty victory uh, uh, with Jonathan and his armor bearer, then God starts to create a shaking, uh, an earthquake, and, and people got afraid and, 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 uh, and everybody fled. And, uh, and Israel come from out of the woodwork and, and, and they were chasing the Philistines back home. And verse 24, I'm sorry, uh, verse 24. And the men of Israel were distressed that day for Saul had adjured the people saying, cursed be the man that eateth any food until evening that I may be avenged on mine enemies. So none of the people tasted any food. And so... They come to the um, they come to the land where there's wood and there was honey there and and uh, the people were afraid to eat it and Jonathan he hadn't heard about this and he he comes and he tastes some honey and he feels better and they go on to fight and and um, the people said uh, um, but but these people said but Jonathan your father made an oath saying cursed is anyone who eats anything and. Uh, I'm not sure his, his response was all that respect, respectful, but it was true. He said, my father has um, troubled the land. My father has troubled the land. You see, um, I think one of the signs of an intoxicated leader is when he requires foolish things from their subjects. Requires foolish things. There was no reason for Saul to tell to make an oath like that. It, it was very foolish. 
How can people fight if they can't eat, if they're hungry, if they're out of energy? And uh, it brought a curse on his son. And I believe that that curse was in place, and that was one of the reasons Jonathan was killed. Um, and then if you uh, go down to verse 37, you'll notice that God honored this. God didn't answer. So Saul asked counsel of God, you know, shall we go down after the Philistines? Will you deliver them into the hand of Israel? But he answered him, not that day. So the requirement brought a curse on his son. It, it caused God not, things happened that, that God did not answer him. And uh, he missed the opportunity to finish the battle. I don't think they ever finished chasing them. Unless I missed something here in the passage. Signs of, we're talking about signs of intoxication. Secondly, he reinterpreted God's command to his own desires. Chapter 15. Chapter 15 and uh, verse 9. And so God tells, um, God tells uh, uh, Saul, now I want you to go down and, and smite the Amalekites. I want you to get rid of them. Um, they were wicked, wicked people, and, and God was getting ready to execute his judgment on them, and he wanted Israel to go do it. And, um, and he told Saul, he says, I want you to destroy everything. Everything is destroyed. Everything that's alive dies. And um, so Saul goes down to do it. He very happily goes down and destroys most all the people. Well, all the people except for the king. He decided to save him for a trophy for some reason. I have no idea why. What he was going to do with him, I don't know. And, uh, and he decides to, uh, to keep, the, keep the cattle. Isn't that convenient? You know, he reinterprets what God says. So uh, verse 9, And Saul and the people spared Ag Agag and the best of the sheep and the oxen and the fatlings and the lambs and all that was good, and would not utterly destroy them, but everything that was vile and refused, that they destroyed utterly. Then came the word of the Lord to Samuel, saying, It repenteth me that I have set up Saul to be king, for he has turned back from following me and has not performed my commandment. And it grieved Samuel, and he cried unto the Lord, all night. And when Samuel arose early to, to meet Saul in the morning, it was told Samuel, saying, Saul came to Carmel, and behold, he has set him up a place. That is, he set him up a, uh, a uh, uh, what's the uh, the translation say? He set him up a statue. Uh, what, I'm sorry. A monument. a monument. Thank you. He set, him, he set himself up a monument. And um, let's see, where are we at? Uh, and is gone about and passed on and gone down to Gilgal. And Samuel came to Saul, and Saul said to him, Blessed be thou of the Lord, I have performed the commandment of the Lord. And Samuel said, What meaneth then this bleeding of the sheep in mine ears and the lowing of the oxen which I hear? And Saul said, They have brought them from the Amalekites. For the people spared the best of the sheep and the oxen to sacrifice unto the Lord thy God. And uh, did you notice it's the Lord thy God now? The Lord thy God, and the rest we have utterly destroyed. Then Samuel said to Saul, Stay, and I will tell thee what the Lord has said to me this night. 
And he said to him, Say on. And Samuel said, When thou wast little in thy own sight, wast thou not made the head of the tribe of Israel? And the Lord anointed thee king over Israel. And the Lord sent thee on a journey and said, Go and utterly destroy the sinners, the Amalekites, and fight against them till they be consumed. Wherefore didst then dost thou not obey the voice of the Lord, but didst fly upon the spoil, and didst evil in the sight of the Lord? And, Samuel, and, the, and Saul said to Samuel, Yes, I have obeyed the voice of the Lord, and have gone the way which the Lord has sent me, and have brought Agag the king of Amalekites, and have utterly destroyed the Amalekites. But the people took of the spoil. The people took of the spoil, and sheep and oxen, and the chief of the things which should have been utterly destroyed to sacrifice unto the Lord thy God in Gilgal. And Samuel said, Has the Lord as great delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as in obeying the voice of the Lord? Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice and to hearken than the fat of rams, for rebellion is as the sin of witchcraft and stubbornness is as iniquity and idolatry. Because thou hast rejected the word of the Lord he has also rejected thee from being king. I think we'll stop there for the moment. He re reinterpreted God's commands to meet his own desires. He saved the best cattle and he destroyed the rest. They were, it says Saul and the people were unwilling to destroy. That's verse 9. Um, I think it is. But Saul and the people spared. I think they, I think New King James says they were unwilling to spare. And would not. There it is, the end of verse 9. And would not utterly destroy them. They would not. Saul called it, called it obedience. He says, I have obeyed. God called it disobedience. He shifted blame. He shifted blame. The people, he said, the people saved the spoil. You'll see it. He said it three times. Verse 15, they have brought them from the Amalekites. The people spared the best of the sheep and the oxen to sacrifice. And um, verse 21, but the people took of the spoil. In verse 24, he repeats it again. And uh, Saul says to Samuel, I have sinned for I have transgressed because I feared the people. Finally, he started to admit he was, he was part of it, but it was still, really it was the people's fault. I was afraid. He was proud. He was so pleased with his own performance, he sets him up a monument. And you know, after, um, let's see, where do we stop here? Um, I'm sorry, I read this so many times, I can't remember which verse I stopped at. Do you know which verse I stopped at? <laughs> Well, let's just, um, let's just go back to verse 22 and start there. Samuel said, Has the Lord as great a desire in burnt offerings and sacrifices as in obeying the voice of the Lord? 
Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice, and to hearken than the fat of rams. For rebellion is as the sin of witchcraft, and stubbornness is as iniquity and idolatry. Because thou hast rejected the word of the Lord, he has rejected thee from being king. Samuel said, Saul said to Samuel, I have sinned. I have transgressed the commandment of the Lord and thy words, because I feared the people and obeyed their voice. Now therefore I pray thee, pardon my sin, and turn again with me that I may worship the Lord. And Samuel said to Saul, I will not return with thee, for thou hast rejected the word of the Lord, and the Lord has rejected thee from being king over Israel. And as Samuel turned about to go away, he laid hold upon the skirt of his mantle, and it rent. That is, Saul grabbed a hold of Samuel's mantle. And Samuel said to him, The Lord has rent the kingdom of Israel from thee this day, and has given it to a neighbor of thine that is better than thou. And also the strength of Israel will not lie nor repent, for he is not a man that he should repent. And he said, I have sinned, yet honor me now, I pray thee, before the elders of my people and before Israel, and turn again with me that I may worship the Lord thy God. And Samuel turned again after Saul, and Saul worshiped the Lord. I have sinned, yet honor me now in the sight of Israel. Somehow you would think that after a rebuke like this, you would take your whip and tuck your tail between your legs and go home. But not Saul. Oh, no. even after he admits his guilt. You know, I think Saul still thought he was pretty smart. But God called him disobedient, a rejecter of God, and rebellious. For Saul, human reasoning took the place of obedience to God. Human reasoning took the obedience to God. He says, I, we brought it back for a sacrifice to God. It didn't matter what God said. In Saul's mind, it made sense. And if it made sense, it must be right. And so they bring back these cattle and, and, uh, and, they, um, and they bring them back for a sacrifice. God should be pleased with that. But he wasn't. You see, they weren't willing to waste them. They weren't willing to waste it. You know, I got caught in a trap like that. There was an old man in the holler, and uh, God told me one day, he said, John, go take a $100 bill. Give it to Lloyd. <clears throat> If Lloyd don't give it, if Lloyd don't take it, you throw it in the stove. Make an object lesson. And tell him that's what he's doing when he, when he refuses my salvation. You know, I argued with Lloyd, and I told him, I'm going to throw this away. I'm going to throw it in the fire if you don't take it. And finally, he took it. But you know what? Some of the lesson was lost. 
some of the lesson was lost because I had a hard time throwing that $100 bill in the stove. How many times is our way, do we think our way is better than God's way? How many times? I wonder what would have happened that day if I had obeyed God completely, unreservedly. Say human reasoning took the place of obedience to God. And you know, um, when all these things happen, then there's something else that happened. We become powerless. We become powerless. Turn to chapter 17. Now, the, uh, there's another battle and, uh, with the Philistines. And this is the uh, account of, of David and Goliath. And so, um, so Goliath comes down there and, uh, and he... Um, he uh, gives this big old speech and uh, he curses God and he uh, says, send a man out here to fight with me. And uh, if I win, y'all are going to be our, our servants. And if they win, we'll be your servants. And uh, chapter 17, verse 11, I would like you to notice they were afraid. They were afraid. And when Saul and all Israel heard these words of the Philistine, they were dismayed and greatly afraid. Powerless. Fear. Verse 24. And all the men of Israel. Let's do verse 23. As he talked with them, behold, there came up the champion, the Philistine of Gath, Goliath by name, out of the armies of the Philistines, and spake according to the same words. And David heard them. And all the men of Israel, when they saw the man, fled from him and were sore afraid. My, my. You would think that if they weren't afraid of the armies of the Philistines, they could all gang up on one guy, wouldn't you think? I'm not sure how that worked. But they were afraid. And that's what happens when... When we're proud, when we don't believe God and uh, our human reasoning takes over, then we're, we find ourselves powerless. And, um, but we find David, a man that, that trusted God, someone without, without experience, someone that was, was small and young that did. God's work in God's power. And David vanquished evil in the name of the Lord. There's another, there's another sign of intoxication, and that is jealousy. See, Saul was jealous of others who were empowered by God. Chapter 18. came to pass when he made an end of speaking unto Saul 
that the soul of Jonathan was knit to the soul of David, and Jonathan loved him as his own soul. And Saul took him that day and would let him go no more home to his father's house. So Saul, he, uh, he, he grabbed a hold of someone who was powerful. And uh, he was excited about this. This was great. But um, but uh, now let's go down to verse 6. And it came to pass as they came when David was returned from the slaughter of the Philistine that the women came out of the cities of Israel singing and dancing to meet King Saul with tabrets, with joy and with instruments of music. And the women answered one another as they played and said, Saul has slain his thousands, and David his ten thousands. And Saul was very wroth, and the saying displeased him. And he said, They have ascribed unto David ten thousands, and to me they have ascribed but thousands. And what can he have more than the kingdom? So here's a man who had no power. He was the one who should have been out to fight Goliath, but he wasn't. He was afraid, he was powerless. And God brought a man to, to stand up and, and, and stand in the gap and do the job that should have been done. And um, so when, when uh, this happens and, and the ladies begin to praise and this, this young man begins to get the praise, all of a sudden Saul is jealous and he was angry. And he begins to look for ways to trap and eliminate David's influence. First, he attacks him by trying to throw a javelin into him uh, several times. When that didn't work, he started the, the, the thing of pretense. And so he, um, he says, you know what, David, if you go kill 100 Philistines, and um, he said, uh, you know, I'll give you, I'll give you my, my, uh, my daughter as your wife. And... Uh, and so David does that, and he comes back. Well, he doesn't do it, doesn't keep his word. He thought David was going to get killed, so he was setting him up, trying to get rid of him. That didn't work. And finally, you know, he finds out, well, the other, the other daughter really didn't like David, and uh, so, well, let's, let's give her to David. Maybe, you know, maybe we can trap David somehow or another. And, uh, and you know, over the next seven years or so, and that's somewhat of a guess based on... Uh, based on, I think, Jewish history. Um, he used every possible method he could think of to get rid of David. He was jealous of others who were empowered by God. He was tortured in spirit. Um, chapter 16, verse 14, the spirit of the Lord departed from Saul and an evil spirit from the Lord troubled him. And chapter 19, verse 9, And the evil spirit from the Lord was upon Saul as he sat in the house with a javelin in his hand. He was tortured in spirit. He no, he no longer had peace. He ceased to hear from God like he had in the past. And so, so again, if we go back down to chapter 28, um, the last battle that he had with the Philistines, and the Philistines came out with their armies, and uh, to fight with Israel. That's verse one and verse five and six. 
And when Saul, when Saul saw the host of the Philistines, he was afraid and his heart greatly trembled. And when Saul inquired of the Lord, the Lord answered him not, neither by dreams, nor by Urim, nor by prophets. So God ceased to heal. He ceased to hear from God like he had in the past. And um, God did not answer him in any of the normal ways that he had answered him before. And he finally gets so desperate, so afraid, that he, he, he resorts to witchcraft. He's desperate for relief, and he, he says, please find me a witch. And um, he goes to her, and she, she uh, does what he tells him to do, and, and, um, and brings Samuel up, and, and, and she hears the message that tonight you're going to be dead. And then Saul is terribly afraid. It even makes his fear worse. And you know, Samuel told Saul that, that, um, that rebellion is as the sin of witchcraft. And I've heard it said that, you know, that it's a natural result of rebellion. It's something that we can be involved in without realizing it, I do believe. It's sort of the natural result of the, of the downward spiral to somewhere get involved in something that has Satan's fingerprint on it. Well, these are some of the, this is some of the spiral, some of the results of the intoxication that can happen when a person comes to power. I'd like to look for a little bit at the cure. And I'd like to, I'd like to ponder what could have been um, looking at David as the example of it. If you go to chapter 16, verse 1, I think is the first secret. The Lord said to Samuel, How long will you mourn for Saul, seeing I have rejected him from reigning over Israel? Fill your horn with oil and go. I will send you to Jesse the Bethlehemite, for I have provided me a king among his sons. I think secret number one is David belonged to God. God said, I will provide me a king. David belonged to God. His life was lived for God. You know, David lost focus a few times pretty bad. He lost focus when he numbered Israel and when he misused Bathsheba and um, he had Uriah killed. We're talking serious stuff here. And um, he lost focus. But David belonged to God. God declared David a man after his own heart. Secondly, we notice that he had a heart that longed to know and obey God. You'll, you'll, see, that, you'll see that reflected in, in, um, in part of Psalm 119. Uh, I'd like to read a few verses starting verse 5. Oh, that my ways were directed to keep your statutes. Then would I not be ashamed. When I look at all your commandments, I will praise you with uprightness of heart. When I learn your righteous judgments, I will keep your statutes. Oh, do not forsake me utterly. How can a young man cleanse his way? By taking heed according to your word. With my whole heart I have sought you. Oh, let me not wander from your commandments. David had a heart that longed to know and obey God. 
he gave God glory for the successes in his life. Just one example of that in Psalm 118, 28. Thou art my God, I will praise thee. Thou art my God, I will exalt thee. That was the mindset of David, to give God glory. Last but certainly not least, David was a repenter. David was a repenter. After he had numbered Israel um, and, and God's, God's wrath was being poured out on Israel because of it, the angel comes to Jerusalem to kill the people there, and God is, is repenting. How can God repent? And um, he shows himself to David and... and um, this is David's reply. He says, uh, Was it not I who commanded the people to be numbered? I'm the one who sinned and done evil indeed. But these sheep, what have they done? Let your hand, I pray, O Lord, be my God, be against me and my father's house, but not against the people that they should be plagued. David was a repenter. After his episode with Bathsheba, he, he, uh, he wrote Psalm 51. And I think you, you uh, know what that one says. But I'll just read a, a couple of verses to jog your memory. Have mercy, mercy upon me, O God, according to your loving kindness, according to the multitude of your tender mercies. Blot out my transgression. Wash me thoroughly from mine iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. For I acknowledge my transgression and my sin is ever before me. What a beautiful prayer of repentance. Now I don't think, I think God did not give up on him because he had only committed some acceptable sin. You know what I mean by that. We have, we have good sins and we have bad sins. You know, the good sins are the ones that we all do. You know, yeah, we sort of laugh about them a little bit. And yeah, I, I, yeah. And the bad sins are those ones that, you know, we, we don't want to get caught in. You know, the, the ones like we do on the Internet or, or um, you know what I'm talking about. God did not keep David because he only committed the acceptable sins. He kept David because he was a repenter, because he was sorry for sin. He had a heart that moved toward God. See, I don't think God has the same perspective of sin we do. I think once we see God, we'll understand that. If we, if we put our sins in a box and, we, and these are good ones and these are bad ones, we haven't seen God. David saw God. He knew how God felt about sin. See, power and leadership is a dangerous business, yet it's instituted by God. It's like money and sex. 
And I think God, Jesus' words concerning money are pertinent here for this subject just as well as they were. When Jesus said it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God, his disciples asked this question, who then can be saved? Who then can be saved? Jesus had just made a statement that it's, that it's pretty much impossible for a rich man to get to heaven. That's pretty much what he said. And the disciple says, well, who can be saved? And Jesus made this statement, and I think it applies here as well. With man, it is impossible, but with God, all things are possible. I'd like to challenge you when God calls you to leadership, remember, it's dangerous business. It's dangerous business. But with God, it's possible. And I'm grateful for that.